I've loved this series. I hope that you have. And, uh, you know, this is our last Sunday in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And you may be wondering, how did we get to chapter 10, verse 19? What about chapter 10, verses 1 through 18? Now, in the world of Bible study, uh, if you are new to the Christian faith or you're new to church stuff or you're new to studying the Bible, I want to introduce to you this morning an important word, and it's called context. And in the world of Bible study, context is a really important phrase because what it does is it reminds us that the verse or the little section of verses that we're studying isn't in a vacuum. Uh, The author of the text that we're studying wrote something before that, and he wrote something or she wrote something after that, and it's important for us then to study the context of what it is that we're looking at. And so three weeks ago now, we studied, we began studying uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and you'll remember that I said to you that this text or this scripture gives The people of God, Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, gives to them calls to action. The Word of God calls believers to action, to do actually do something. And so that's what we've been looking at uh, over the past couple of weeks. But I wanted for us to just take a moment in the spirit of review. We've been in this series for two weeks now. uh, And to ask the question, what leads up? to verse 19. And to summarize it, here's here's what chapter 10 verses 1 through 18 is really about. It's about Jesus. It's about the awesome, powerful, life-giving, final, whole, complete, and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus to cover all of our sins and to set us free. The author of Hebrews is talking about why, excuse me, why the sacrificial system is no longer needed. I don't know if you've ever wondered that before, but maybe as a young believer, you had the question, well, why is it that we don't do sacrifices anymore? Because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. We don't have to continually offer sacrifices of bulls and goats and rams and sheep and dove because the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, was sufficient. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. His sacrifice as the Lamb of God completes it, finalizes it, and is sufficient for all people. Amen. That's good news. Now, out of that thought comes verse 19. Therefore, because the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, because the sacrifice of Jesus is so powerful and final and complete and sufficient, therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, which is sufficient, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, because the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient and powerful and final and whole and complete, the author of Hebrews calls us to do three things. Now, the first, if you have your notes in front of you, the first is what we looked at last week. It's, it's our review portion of the message this morning. Therefore, verse 22, let us draw near to God. Because the sacrifice of the Lamb of God is whole and complete and sufficient and paves the way for us to enter the presence of God, let's go there. Let us draw near to God. But there's two other calls to action this morning that we're going to be looking at. And the first is the call in verse 23. Let us... Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So if you're making notes this morning, review, let us draw near to God. The second call to action is let us be faithful. Let us draw near to God and let us live lives of faithfulness. Now, the author of Hebrews says it a little bit differently than that way, doesn't he? The author of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. When I think about that, I think about gripping something in my hand, holding it fast. And here's what I think. Every time I see that phrase in scripture, hold fast, for some reason, I think about white knuckles. Have you ever held something so tight that you get white knuckles? Maybe you need to do that right now. If you got a pen or you've got your keys or maybe even your phone, put it in your hand. And <clears throat> what I want you to do this morning is I want you to squeeze so tight that your knuckles start changing colors. Because if you squeeze something tight enough, they'll stop being one color and they'll change colors. For me, it changes from pink to white. White knuckle holding fast. That's what the author is talking about when he says, hold fast to this confession of our hope. Hold fast to it. Not only draw near to God, but in everyday life, hold fast to your hope. Hold fast to your faith. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he's faithful. Because Christ has been faithful to us. I know that you have problems in your life. I know that you have struggles in your life. I know that you have burdens right now that you're processing. You might be processing them in your mind or you may be processing them in your heart. I know that life isn't easy for any of us, whether you're a student here this morning or, or you're an adult <clears throat> or you're a senior adult or wherever you fall on the age spectrum or wherever you're at in your season of life. I'm not saying life is easy. I'm saying he's been faithful because his sacrifice is sufficient powerful and able to transform. 
Let us draw near to him. And let us be faithful. Let us hold white-knuckled fast to the confession of our hope. Because he who called us has been faithful. That's our call to action. But it's not easy to do. I understand that. And in fact, even reflecting on this, I was thinking about like in real life. Because holding fast to the confession of our hope is something that we have to do in real everyday life. It's not theoretical. It's not conceptual. It is something that is to be done in the everyday rhythms of our life. When you wake up, you got to hold fast. When you're driving to work or school and someone cuts you off, you got to hold fast. When you have that difficult conversation with a family member or a coworker or a neighbor, you got to hold fast. When you have financial problems, you have to hold fast. When you're struggling with your, with your uh, physical illness, you have to hold fast. Again, not because life is easy, but because he is faithful. So I was thinking about this being an everyday real life call and I thought to myself you know there's some elements of life that make this challenging so I want to share with you some things that we must overcome in order to be able to really not just learn this but to do this because the author of Hebrews doesn't say think about holding fast says hold fast actually do it in real life and so there's some things that are difficult for us and in order for us to really hold fast to the confession of our hope we've got to overcome these things and the first one that I think that plagues us as a society is fatigue it could be spiritual fatigue it could be physical fatigue but being exhausted hurts our ability to hold fast to our faith and our hope I mean, think of it this way. Go back to this illustration, right? And if you need to, reclench your fist, right? You're holding fast to something. If you've got a pin in your hand, hold it fast. Make those knuckles change colors. Hold fast. And then ask yourself this question. How long could I hold this this tight before I start to lose my grip because my muscles are getting tired? Maybe your brain isn't getting tired and your brain is screaming at your hand, hold on, but it's not a matter of thinking. Maybe your heart is saying, hold on to that pin, white knuckle tight, but it's not a matter of your heart. You see, from a physiological standpoint, I'm not a doctor, but we have some in here, and if I'm wrong... Doctors, you can stand up and tell me I'm wrong. We'll pray about doing that first. <laughs> Be gentle. But if I were to hold fast, white knuckle to something, eventually these muscles are going to get tired. The ones in my fingers, I guess fingers have muscles. I don't know. I told you I'm not a doctor. The ones in my hands, my hand is going to cramp 
Fatigue is going to set in. And all of a sudden, the grip is going to start to loosen a little bit. Fatigue is something that we have to overcome if we're going to hold white-knuckled to the confession of our hope. And you may say, well, how can you? Just like your, your hand is going to get tired eventually, it's going to release the pen or the pencil or whatever object it is. Listen, I have good news for you today. Your ability to have the strength to hold on to your faith doesn't have anything to do with your muscular system. It doesn't matter if you've lifted weights your whole life or never lifted weights. It doesn't matter if you're strong physically or weak physically because your ability to hold fast to the confession of your hope is 100% tied to the strength of God. I want to share with you some scriptures this morning. They're going to be a barrage of them because I've got like three or five of them this morning that I want to share with you. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Listen to this phrase. They shall run and not get weary. Did you hear that? They shall run and not get weary. I have never in my life ran and not gotten tired. And I can't run very far without getting weary. So I can personally identify with this beauty of this text that says if you wait on the Lord from a spiritual perspective, you will renew your strength. Your strength is directly tied to your connection with God. So much so that you can run and not be weary. You shall walk and not be faint. Exodus chapter 15 verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength, and the Lord is my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. I will exalt Him. The Lord is my strength. But they who wait for the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So as you comprehend and process this morning, this call to action, because the sacrifice of Jesus is so profoundly sufficient, let us then draw near to God and let us hold fast to our faith with white knuckle tenacity. And when we sense that we're tired spiritually, we have to remember that our ability to hold on is directly tied to our ability to connect with God because he is our strength. Another obstacle that we have to overcome, another thing that we have to be able to do is, is to hold fast in the midst of distractions. 
So for some of us, we may be experiencing fatigue and we may be loosening our grip on our faith. And you may need to hear that this morning, that you need to attend to fatigue. But some of us tend to loosen this grip of this white knuckled holding fast to our faith, not because we're tired, but because we're distracted. Have you ever been holding something in your hand and you get distracted? For me, sometimes I hold car keys. This is a a trick I learned a long time ago that if you're talking with someone and you're trying to end the conversation, I don't know if you've ever done that before, you're thinking to yourself, oh man, how am I gonna end this conversation? Listen, here's a freebie. Reach in your pocket and get out your keys because that subliminally communicates it's time to go. So now if you're talking to me, I reach in my pocket and get my keys. You'd be like, oh, Pastor Zach's trying to end the conversation. But have you ever done this before? Like, have you ever been holding something and you're talking to someone? Like, maybe it's keys. Jason and I are just talking, having a good time, and I'm holding my keys. And all of a sudden, he starts telling me a story. And I get sucked into that story, and I'm watching him, and I'm listening to him, and, and I'm holding my keys in my hand. But I'm so focused on what he's saying, I get so distracted and wrapped up in what he's saying that my grip, I don't even realize it, but my grip loosens, and all of a sudden, I drop my keys. Have you ever dropped something because you got distracted? Who in here is the keeper of the remote control in your home? See, we're going to start fights this morning, right? Yeah, if you've ever held the remote control, you know what this is. You're sitting there watching television. You've got the remote in your hand. And all of a sudden, you get wrapped up into something. Like this happened to me last week. For some reason, I'm flipping through, looking at these random television shows. I got stuck on QVC for an hour and 12 minutes. (laughs) QVC. For those of you who don't know what that is, you buy stuff. Now, I didn't buy anything. But I was like, yeah, those are really nice rings. That's a really great deal. What if I got everybody in my family one of these rings for Christmas? Boom, drop the remote. Why? And my hand wasn't tired. It was that I was distracted by what was in front of me. It was that I had lost my focus. My focus was no longer on holding the remote. I was sucked into this program about buying rings on QVC. And can I just say to you this morning, as weird as that sounds, it happens to us spiritually all the time. We get sucked into random things that normally would not distract us, but for some reason, we get distracted and our grip loosens. From fatigue, no, but we're distracted. I wanna share with you two scriptures about this. If you're making notes, I encourage you to write them down. Colossians chapter three, verse two. Here's what it says. Set your minds. Now, this is a command to the people of God. This isn't isn't something that's God's responsibility. This is our responsibility. Set your minds on the things that are above. Set your mind on the kingdom of God. Focus your mind on the kingdom of God, Scripture says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the advice? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on the things above. You see, the word of God understands that God's people can get distracted. You can get distracted, I can get distracted, and it may not be spiritual fatigue that's making it difficult to hold white-knuckled to the confession of our hope. It might be distractions. Or the third thing that we have to overcome, if we're actually going to do what it is that God's Word calls us to do, is overcome despair, and anger. Speaking of car keys, a hundred years ago when I was a senior in high school, I was on the basketball team. And we went to the playoffs. And I'll never forget the experience of not just losing to get put out of the playoffs my senior year and it ended my basketball career. We didn't just lose, we got decimated. We got destroyed. We got throttled. By this team, the school called North Shore. I'll never forget it. When I see black and red colors together and I think about North Shore, when I see people get blown out, I still have flashbacks like this is a part of who I am, people. This was a bad experience. So we're all in the locker room. All of the seniors are emotional and upset because this is, the, you know, the, the dawning. This is the ending, uh, uh, the sunset, if you will, of our basketball careers. And one guy was really upset. And he just was stewing. You know what I mean when I say stewing? He just was, I can't believe it. And those refs, always the refs' fault, right? Any basketball refs in here, it's always your fault, when the teams lose, right? Blaming everybody, upset, emotional, crying, and he just couldn't get it out of his heart. And so we're leaving from the gym to go to the bus because this was an away game, and this guy is so upset. He literally reaches in his pocket and in his anger takes his car keys, throws them. And look, at 18 years old, I was not a wise guy. Well, I was a wise guy, not a smart guy. <laughs> but Dale, I'm telling you, in my unsophisticated thought processes of an 18-year-old guy, I was thinking, that was really dumb. <laughs> like, you just threw your car keys, man. Now, did his car keys do anything to him? Was he angry at his car keys? No. Was he angry at his car? No. What was he angry at? He was broken that he lost the game. He didn't know how to process this despair, this anger that he was feeling. So he just did something really foolish. He took something really important. He took it in his hand and he flung it as far as he could. And it wasn't the end there because it actually hurt the people around him because then we couldn't even get on the bus. We all had to go searching for these crazy car keys. 
because his car was at our school waiting for him. And so our coach makes a stop. We can't get on the bus. We got to go find his car because I'm just thinking to myself, why am I having to suffer for his anger? Think about that question. A lot of us struggle emotionally. Maybe we feel despair. Maybe we feel anger. And do you know what we tend to do? Take this beautiful thing that's important called our faith. And in anger, we want to throw it. It doesn't help you. It actually hurts you. You, you, you think about this 18-year-old kid throwing his car keys across the parking lot and you think, how foolish are you? But think about this in a spiritual sense. Think about the people who get angry because they experience something difficult or they're going through a difficult circumstance or they're faced with difficult issues and they don't know how to process it. And so what they do is they reach in and they find something that they can hold on to and they throw it as far as they can, not because they're angry at it, but because they're hurting. Listen to me. You may hurt. Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from life. But don't throw your faith because you don't know how to process what's happening to you in that moment. And so in real life, if we're going to hold white-knuckled fast to the confession of our hope, we've got to learn to do it through fatigue, through distraction, and through disappointment. And I challenge you this morning to make that commitment that I will hold fast to my faith because the sacrifice of Jesus is so profoundly sufficient and powerful and full and complete. I will draw near to God and I will hold fast to my confession. And fatigue will not cause me to release it. Distraction will not cause me to release it. And anger will not cause me to release it. And there is still one other call to action. Verse 24. And let us. So verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The third call to action is let us be present for one another. Let us show up. For one another. Let us, in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Let us consider how to stir one another up. How do I gently walk into this? There are times that we're really good at stirring one another up, isn't it? 
We can get online and disagree with someone and we can stir them up because we feel stirred. That's not what the scripture is talking about. Let us stir one another up towards love and good works. What the scripture is saying is let's draw near to God, let's hold white-knuckled fast to our faith, and let's show up for one another. Let's consider how to stir one another up towards love and to good works. If you're making notes this morning, underneath point three, my presence here is for the sake of others. When I show up here, I want to give more than I receive. I want to consider how to bless you. I want to consider how to stir you up towards love. Now, when I come here on Sunday mornings or Tuesdays or Thursdays when I'm with uh, uh, the, the student ministry or Mondays with I'm with young adults, I always am blessed. It's never about whether or not I'm going to get something out of it. I always do. But really what the scripture is saying in verse 24 and 25, my presence Aligning my physical presence with the rest of the body of Christ really isn't about me seeing what I can get. It's really about me considering how I can give. What can I do to stir somebody else up towards love and to good works? Now there's this contingency of people in the kingdom of God, our brothers and sisters in the faith. There's a a group of them who make an argument that follows. I don't need to go to church to love God. And I don't need to go to church to worship God. And I don't need to go to church to study about God. And I don't need to go to church to experience God. Therefore, I don't go to church. Now it's quiet in here because you probably know people that feel that way. And what I want you to understand is that what this scripture is saying is that you attending things like this worship service isn't really about what you can get. It's about what you can give. That's the glorious theological perspective of the word of God. We gather ourselves together to honor God and to bless each other, not to take. Now, is it true? Is that perspective true? I don't have to go to church to worship God. Yes, that's true. I don't have to go to church to study about God. Clearly, you have a copy of the Bible at your home, probably on your phone, of course that's true. But can I just tell you this? In your studies, have you ever come across this verse? 
It says, let us not forsake gathering together. Because there's an important thing that happens when we're together. We have the ability to bless one another. To bring our gifts. To bring what God has made us good at. And to bless other people. This is the point I'm trying to make today. That the call to action... The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient and powerful and full and complete. Therefore, let us draw near to God. Therefore, let us hold fast to the faith. Therefore, let us show up for one another. Let us give our lives away to other people. Verse 24 says, excuse me. uh, Yeah, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And the point isn't here for me to criticize anybody. It's to recast our perspective of the purpose by which we gather together. I want to show up here on Sunday mornings because I want to bring something of value to the body of Christ. And you have something of value for the body of Christ. Let us be present for one another. My presence here is for the sake of others. Also, my contribution is to be calculated. And what that means from verse 24, it says, let us consider how we might stir one another up to love and to good works. That word consider means to reflect upon. It means to think deeply about. Let me consider the next time I'm with you what I might be able to do to stir you up to love to stir you up in good works, to bless you in the kingdom of God. In verse 25, it says, encouraging one another. Practically what that means is in my life, there should be some moments of my week where I'm thinking about what can I do to serve you and to bless you and to encourage you. But so that it's not lost on us and that you don't think that's simply the role of the lead pastor, what I'm saying is the word of God calls all of us to spend some time during the week considering, reflecting, planning on how we can serve one another. That's why we gather corporately as the body of Christ is to find ways to encourage one another. And finally, this is something that is to increase in our lives and not decrease. The last phrase of the text that we've been studying says, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So if the trajectory of your blessing others and you considering how to stir one another up towards love and good works, if the trajectory isn't of increase, I want to encourage you today to spend some time praying about how you might do this all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Remember, this whole series is rooted on the foundation of how awesome and complete and powerful and life-transforming and whole and sufficient is the sacrifice of Jesus. And because it is so incredibly sufficient, let us draw near to God, hold white-knuckled fast to the confession of our hope, and let us show up for one another. Let us find ways to love each other well. Would you bow with me? As we prepare to close this message in this series, I ask you to consider your place, your standing this morning with the Lord. Perhaps some here this morning would need to be at a place of honesty and say, you know, I have never personally received the sacrifice of Jesus. I've learned about it. I have studied it. But I haven't received it. And I'm inviting you this morning to receive the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus for your forgiveness and for your hope. I invite you to do that even now, but if you have questions, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Some of us in this room this morning or even watching with us online are true followers of Jesus, but you really needed these reminders, these calls to action. And maybe one set more deeply in your heart than others, and you need to deal with the Lord in regard to that. Maybe fatigue is loosening your grip. Maybe distraction is loosening your grip. Maybe emotional pain or anger is loosening your grip. And you need the strength of the Lord this morning. Father, I pray for commitments to be made right now to you. That we would sense an urgent and biblical call to action this morning based on these verses. And that we would be a committed people to not just know the call to action 
but to daily seek to do the call to actions. I'm so thankful, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning and for guests who may have be here this morning and for those who are believers and Lord, even those who are skeptics this morning and are here, I thank you for them, for their presence, for the willingness to hear section of the Bible. We have a full heart of thanksgiving and gratitude, Lord. Because your sacrifice for us is so profoundly life-changing and whole and complete and sufficient. Thank you for that, Lord, as we dismiss from here and go back into the world. May we truly be a people of action so that you would be honored, so that we would be spiritually healthy, and so that a watching world might see what it looks like to follow you in real life. You are good to us, Lord. You are faithful. For that we celebrate. We pray together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.